I believe so strongly in building websites following digital accessibility best practices that I literally made it the second episode of this podcast. But I taught digital accessibility to my MBA students just a couple weeks ago, and I noticed some common misconceptions, not only around the concept itself, but why it's important. Now, I also noticed that my students cared less about building an inclusive website and more about what building a website that way could do for them and their businesses. Now, that's not terribly surprising, isn't it? After all, don't most of us just care mostly about what something can do for us? Sadly, the answer to that is yes. As we enter the final month of the year, I thought it was a good time to cover this again and talk about what digital accessibility does for you and the businesses you help. After all, when you're following digital accessibility best practices online, you're doing a ton to improve your overall user experience and on-page SEO too. It's worth the investment, I promise. Now this is a longer episode, so let's dig in. You're listening to the Digital Masters Growing Your Web Dev Business Podcast. I'm Marisa Vanskyver, aka Captain Coder. I'm a web developer, copywriter, and digital marketing strategist and educator who's been working in the industry since before Facebook business pages even existed. Each week, I take you through actionable strategies that you can use to improve your own web design business and make more money with every website you build. Now let's take a quick step back. What is digital accessibility? Let's define that. Now I have some students who mistakenly believe that it's about making a website usable across any device. That's not totally untrue, but that's not the definition. Digital accessibility is designing websites and other digital media in such a way that individuals with disabilities or sensory impairments can successfully use them. That's it. It's really that simple. Accessibility in the real world is all about making an environment and product usable by everyone. Now, the most common example many of us might think of includes wheelchair ramps as an alternative to a flight of stairs. Digital accessibility is that same concept, just applied to the digital world. Web accessibility applies specifically to a website. But I like to talk about digital accessibility as a whole because it's the broader, more popular term. Now there's a lot that goes into making something digitally accessible, but a few examples are, one, making a website parsable by screen readers for someone with visual impairments, two, closed caption videos for individuals with hearing impairments, three, and the most common one, including alt text on images for individuals with visual impairments, four, ensuring font colors and background colors have a high enough contrast for those with any kind of color blindness, and five, making a website navigable by keyboard for users who may not be able to operate a mouse, i.e. navigating using the tab on a keyboard. Now, while these are just a few examples, you can actually get the full list from the Global Standard Web Content Accessibility Guidelines 2.1, otherwise known as WCAG, and you can find that linked in today's show notes. Now let's talk about digital accessibility in practice. I want to tell you just a quick couple of stories here. I started really focusing on digital accessibility back in 2013. I had just started working for the Scottish government publisher, and my job was to, in part, take printed documents and PDFs, and then turn them into fully accessible HTML. 
Now, it was often glorified data entry, but it taught me a ton about digital accessibility standards and made me for an advocate for accessibility as a whole. Why? Now, after all, for the Scottish government, we weren't so worried about SEO or even user experience. We were worried that these studies, publications, and documents were usable by anyone, no matter their abilities. Every time we created a website for the government, we ran the chosen color scheme through an accessibility checker to ensure that the contrast was high enough for someone with even severe color blindness to still be able to read it. Before I really got to delve into my job even, they had me browse the internet through a screen reader that someone with visual impairments would use. That experience was eye-opening because if you do have vision issues, you have an entirely different experience with the internet and you tend to lose out on so many of the details that the rest of us simply take for granted. While yes, we were largely taking boring government documents, I mean, we're talking about things like environmental impact reports and marine life studies, and we were turning those into accessible HTML, it was still amazing the care the Scottish government insisted we took to make sure everyone could access those documents. If you're at all familiar with recent Scottish politics, you know that they had a vote in 2014 for independence. I got to be part of the team that took the 700-page pro-independence document and turned that into an ebook and accessible HTML. Now, it took a team of three of us working around the clock for a couple of days to beast it out, but it also meant that literally everyone in the country was able to access and read the document. That was a huge benefit to the independence movement, even if they did lose 45 to 55% on the day of the vote. Now, as you can imagine, our work won awards each year for how accessible it was. But more importantly, I learned the value of being 100% inclusive with the websites and digital content I created. Now, how does digital accessibility affect your SEO and UX? So now that I've gotten through the ethical and moral reasons you should care about digital accessibility, let's talk about how it affects your on-page SEO. Yes, yes, we're diving into these selfish reasons, but honestly, that's kind of okay. Hey, I get it that if you have to convince a client to pay more to have an accessible website, that you've got to showcase the selfish reason. Now, I'm going to break down some specific examples for you that fit not only into digital accessibility best practices, but also on-page SEO standards and are good for user experience. Now, number one is meaningful page titles. Using a meta title or the title tag with something that's descriptive of what's on the actual page not only gives your users a quick way to understand what tab they have open, it also tells Google really quickly what the page is about. For accessibility though, that page title is actually read out loud by a screen reader. You want to avoid simple titles like home or profile and instead give something that's actually descriptive of what's on the page. This will provide better information to those browsing your site with a screen reader, but it will also help Google understand what your page is actually about. Now, number two, with using H tags correctly, you have H1 down to H6, your heading tags. 
Now, correctly using those allows your browsers to quickly scan your content. Your largest headline should be the H1, and you should only include one on each page. That's your main heading and the main topic for the page. Then, each section should be introduced with an H2 and subsequent subsections with H3, H4, etc. If you skip heading levels or you don't use them the right way, a screen reader can think it's missed content. Now, in the case of your SEO, proper headings improve your user experience because it makes your content easier to read. Now, since Google cares about UX and it now affects your rankings, well, this one is an easy no-brainer. Number three, descriptive links. Now, it's been long known that using internal links within your website boosts your SEO, but being descriptive in the text that you're actually linking is helpful not only to user experience, but also accessibility and SEO. Now, how? Well, when you use simple link text like click here and read more, you're not giving any information or context for the link. A screen reader user especially might be navigating the links within a website quickly. They can tab and go to the next link, but can't figure out where to go because all of the link text is the same. Plus, descriptive links are required to meet WCAG standards. But when you're using good link text, it helps Google to understand what the target page or website is all about. Now, Moz actually recommends that link text should be succinct and relevant to the target page, again, because it tells search engines and users exactly what to expect when they click that link. Now, that article from Moz is linked in the show notes. Now, want to know if your links are clear enough? I've linked a list of generic link text that fails standards in today's show notes as well. Now, our next one, alternative text tags. Now, basically, if you don't add a proper alt tag to your images on your website, people with visual impairments have no way to access that content. Alt tags or alt attributes are super easy to add to an image. Most website builder programs like WordPress and Squarespace give you a way to add those easily to your images. Now, remember, Google cannot view your images either. The only way they know what's in the image you include on your website is if you use an alt tag. For alt tags, you just need to add a description of what is actually in the image, not just keyword stuffed, but an actual description. However, if you're able to include target keywords or key phrases naturally, alt tags can be great for your SEO. Let's talk transcriptions and captions. If you've ever been to this actual website to catch my podcast, becomeadigitalmaster.com. You've probably noticed that the podcast and the blog itself are pretty much word for word the same. Now that's because I start with the blog post and then I turn that into my podcast script, which in turns makes my blog a transcript of my podcast. See what I did there? Now I understand that not everyone can listen to my podcast, but I also want to reach those who can't with the same content. Now, I also understand that when I visit other podcast websites and blogs, I personally get annoyed when the blog doesn't give me everything that's in the podcast. What if I just want to scan and find a part I liked? 
What if I wanted to quote that part of the podcast? I don't necessarily want to scroll back through and find the relevant part on Spotify. That's annoying. Providing a full transcript to my podcast gives all of my listeners and followers the ability to interact with my content in a variety of ways. Now, the same is true if you use video content on your website too. If you just have the audio, you're excluding a large portion of your potential audience and you're missing out on the SEO benefits that that content could provide you. Instead, looking at adding closed captioning to your videos at the very least and explore including a full transcript for your videos on your website too. I actually built an online course for a Chicago-based food entrepreneur incubator. Now with those courses, we ensured all of the videos not only had closed captioning, but also included transcripts that could be expanded below the video. It just gave their students a variety of ways to get the content in the way that they chose. If you want a super simple way to create transcript and timed closed caption files called SRTs, just head to rev.com, which is linked in today's show notes as well. Now, another thing that you want to make sure that you're doing is making your content readable. And look, I definitely struggle with parts of this myself, but readability is all about making your content easy to read. Avoiding technical jargon, difficult language, and shorter sentence structures helps to improve user experience, SEO, and accessibility. Now with accessibility, you need to remember that not everyone has the same reading level. That's really hard for the girl who um, was at 12th grade reading level at age 10. But not only that, many people have reading challenges like dyslexia or English is their second language. So you wanna keep content simple, short, clear, and to the point. It opens up your content so that more people can understand and access it. This in turn makes content more enjoyable and easy to read for literally everyone. When you focus on readability, it improves your user experience too, which like we said, positively affects your SEO. Plus, content that is easy to read will keep your browsers and users on your website longer, digging further into your projects and websites. Now, this next one, honestly, is just a best practice for building a website for a number of reasons. But using consistent navigation makes your website easy to navigate for all your visitors. Now, when your navigation is in the same place on your website, no matter what page they're on, your users with cognitive differences and visual impairments will be able to predict where they can find it. Plus, consistent navigation is an accessibility requirement to be WCAG compliant, so you know there's that. Now it also helps to improve your user experience and your SEO by helping website visitors navigate more easily overall. It signals to Google and other search engines that your users are finding their answers to their questions in your content. Now this part is this last one really is going to dig into the technical web developer portion. 
but you have to use semantic HTML. And by that, I mean, if you're using like div tags throughout your content, you're doing it wrong. Container elements like divs and spans are really meant for layout only. They are meaningless and they don't tell a search engine anything about the content inside. More than that though, they don't provide any keyboard or touch support. So you wanna utilize the HTML elements that actually tell the browser, the screen reader, and Google what the purpose of your content is. Now those elements include things like the header tag, nav, main, article, even button tags, aside, and footer. When you use semantic HTML tags, it allows assistive technology to more easily navigate throughout your website. Well, of course, most users aren't going to see what tags you're using, so it doesn't affect your UX. Google does. Google uses that structure to break down your page's content and assign value to it. Now, this entire episode has really just been a lot of ways to demonstrate that best practices for SEO and user experience really just align with digital accessibility best practices. You'll see a lot of people argue for you to follow good web accessibility standards to avoid lawsuits, which it is a real threat, but it's more about providing the best possible experience for your target audiences. After all, marketing marketing is all about the targeted user. It's not about the brand and what you like, it's about what they like. So when you're following web accessibility best practices in the websites you're building, you're adding an incredible amount of value for your clients. You're protecting their business from being targeted for ADA lawsuits. You're building for SEO and best user experience. And you're also ensuring they're capturing their entire target audience without excluding anyone. Now, when you focus on digital accessibility best practices, you're adding enough value to your clients' websites that you're also able to raise your prices for those websites. So want to charge more? Dig into WCAG standards and make sure you communicate with your prospective clients how well it works for their SEO and their user experience. They'll be sold. Thank you all for listening to our episode this week. If you want to catch more Digital Masters, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or visit us at digitalmasterspodcast.com. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about digital marketing, follow us on Instagram at digitalmasterspodcast or visit us online at becomeadigitalmaster.com. Can't wait to talk to you all again next week.